Hello, welcome to the Law of the Gosh podcast. I'd like to start off by mentioning a film that came out in 2006 from Iran, which is a movie that was directed by Jafar Panayi, which tells the story of women trying to get into soccer stadiums in Tehran. And this was the first time I had heard of the problem that women in Iran cannot enter stadiums to watch uh, soccer matches and other sporting events. And then in 2016, during the Rio Olympics, I saw a woman protesting. Uh, her name is Daria Safai. And she was holding a banner said, let Iranian women enter their stadiums. And she was asked to take down the, the sign and escorted out of the Olympic Stadium. And I tried to find some videos of Daria, but I saw that a lot of her videos were in languages any other than English. But recently I found that she did have a couple of videos in English. So I thought I might get in touch with her and see if I could have a talk with her. And I was very fortunate enough to have her accept. And she's with me here now. Thank you for coming on, Daria. The pleasure. Hi, I'm glad to be uh, on your program today. Thank you. Um, so I, I'd really like to start from knowing more about your background before we get into your activism. So people are can be familiar with uh, who you are. Sure. So from the beginning, you're from I Iran originally, right? What was it like growing up in, in Iran in the time you were there? Um. As you know, I'm born in Iran and I'm grown up in Iran. So until my 25th uh, uh, year, I was in Iran and I am grown up in a system of uh, systematically discrimination against women. And of course, it remarks the places that you you find that it's very difficult to live in a society that the law of the country uh, bans you from your rights and makes a second-class citizen from you as a woman and the systematically discrimination it began really early in Iran for women and it was for me for the first time was when I was like six years old on the first day of uh, school and at that moment I realized what it means being discriminated being discriminated without really knowing what it means the discrimination word and it was like the first day of school, I wanted to go to the school and my mother came to me and gave me a sort of um, uniform which was really dark, ugly, without any form. And uh, she um, gave me the last piece, piece of uh, clothes and it was like a headscarf that it was cr uh, closed in front of it uh, to um, hide your neck and your hair. And um, this is in, in Iran is called the Shador, right? Yeah, it is a uh, magnai, but the Shador is the long one. This one is shorter until uh, the under your breast. And with the uniform and the, the uh, headscarf, special headscarf, which called magnai, we should go to the school. A child of six, 
could not participate the school without having that discriminatory uh, uniform. And you know, when I wore a wear it, uh, the the thing that it makes me upset was that I saw our uh, boy. Uh, our neighbor next door had also a boy who was uh, the same age as uh, mine. And when he came with the same clothes as the day before, I knew that my life is changing, but the life of him stays still the same. Those those things continued uh, in the school. When you wanted to laugh, then you were mentioned to control yourself as a girl because a good girl doesn't do that loudly. And every day they try to um, bring us up in the situation that you learn. If if your hair has been seen by a man, then you go to the hell and you will burn um, without an end. So endlessly burning in the hell. Those, um, those indoctrination, the way that they wanted us to grow up as a girl was really... Um, harmful and painful for a girl of six year, nine year, ten years old, and it was like you were banned from riding a bicycle at very early ages, like eleven, twelve years old. You were banned to swim in the Caspian Sea when it was really hot in the summer, and you went with a family and friends there. But still, the boys and the men uh, could go and enjoy the the the, uh, the water and swimming. So it was like humiliating. And I know very well that when I was a child, I wanted to be a boy because I knew that um, I don't like my gender. Um, I didn't know that I don't have any problem with my gender. What I want is just freedom and being equal and having the same right to enjoy my life. But when I grew up, then I knew what the problem was. And I started my actions, uh, my activism against the sort of discriminations. And all that kind of religious conservatism, did your parents believe in that firmly? No, my parents uh, were not supporting it and it were against it because they believe in equality between men and women. And that was um, that was really uh, the, the chance that I get to know other world and like uh, lots of other Iranian because they know what they are um, putting the people under pressure to um, obey the religious law. It is not something that lives between the people because you can have a lots of Iranian religious people who just want to have um, Islam as a religion, but not uh, using the laws of the Sharia for uh, turning the country. Uh, this is the difference. So believing or choosing the Sharia law for turning the country like uh, Islamic Republic of Iran is doing nowadays. And how drastic was the change in 1979 during the Iranian revolution before and after? Oh, it was really a um, very uh, huge uh, difference. It was like before revolution of 79, uh, the life of Iranian people were in a good way uh, of having better economically chances to uh, progress in uh, industrial uh, or um, um, a lots of other ways. And Iran was a pro-Western country, like the, the king of Iran was trying to make a better life for every Iranian, and it was busy, especially for women. Women of Iran, they um, were on a good way toward equality. So at the last years before revolution, 
uh, they could study whatever they wanted. They could be pillowed or other jobs that which were not possible before. And there were a lot on the universities. Also, we had the female uh, ministers that showed enough that they, the, the, the way on uh, changing, it was busy in a very good way. But um, after the revolution of 79, a lot of things were changed and suddenly changed. And especially in the life of the women, as you know, uh, one month, almost one month after the revolution, the revolution was in February and on 8 March um, 79, um, less than a month after the revolution, a lot of women and men came to the streets of Iran to protest against the obligatory uh, compulsory hijab which um, the government and the regime wanted for the Iranian women. So they came out to show that they are against the obligatory hijab and the dressing code. But it was too late. It was like um, the clerics, they um, uh, asked that it is not more a choice, but they should, the women should uh, cover themselves when they come to the streets. And this was Despite what Iranian wanted, this is not at all about the culture of Iranian people, but this is something which the country, the, the regime obliged people to obey. And those things were not only on the dressings code on the women, but also goes uh, deeply through every law of the Islamic Republic of Iran toward the women. Like, uh, for example, um, after the revolution, with the under the Sharia law, every woman should have an, uh, a male guardian. The women cannot go out of the home or cannot go study or work or even go abroad or having a trip without the permission of their uh, male guardian. Uh, this male guardian under law is the father and after the marriage is the husband of the woman. Of course, as you know, uh, a lot of Iranian men doesn't use that power and that law uh, to limit it, uh, the, the woman. But there are still the law, discriminatory laws which men can use and have the, make the problems for women. And also a woman cannot divorce easily. If, I mean, when uh, there are very special cases that women can ask the divorce or having four, four wives are something which is legally accepted. Although Iranian people doesn't do, do such things because it's not accepted between the people, but in the law, it is something that they can do. A lot of discriminatory laws which makes the women of the women the second-class citizen, uh, there are numerous, they are countless. And this is how the Iranian women are uh, almost 40 years, for 38 years, they are living and they are fighting against it and they are um, protesting against it. But it is something very difficult to change. As you know, the Islamic Republic of Iran is based on the Sharia law. So and I also understand, although people have pointed out to me, ah, but uh, the, the parliament of Iran has female members in it. But those female uh, members of government, one, are forced to wear shador, the the, bl the black uh, complete veil from from head down, and also even if they're a member of government, they can't travel outside the country without permission from a male. Mm -hmm. That is what the, that is a very good question. You know, those women are uh, really 
decorative because as you know even the, the the election in iran even for men it's not a free election it means that um they cannot choose really between the candidates with which are freely uh, supposed to be chosen all of the candidates are chosen by a guardian council which is made of six clerics uh which implic implic use the Sharia law to choosing the people, to can choosing the candidates, and only those candidates can be chosen um, through people uh, vote. So as you know, uh, those women, those decorated women who should wear the uh, dressing code of Islamic uh, laws, they cannot be the uh, the the women who care about uh, the women's right, although. Uh, they they are chosen between the women who are chosen uh, from the Khamenei, the supreme leader, the first person of the country, and they cannot really help the woman going for what against the um, the Sharia law against for what they are really willing to have, and this is equality. Those women doesn't care about the equality, and and that is the problem of women of Iran. Right. So it, even we people talk about elections in, in Iran for parliament. But as you were saying, to even run to be a member of parliament, there's a council that has six clerics and six jurists, I believe. So it's 12, uh, 12 in total. And that's called the the Guardian Council. And they have to approve you before you're even allowed to run to potentially become a part of parliament. And then those people have to have a history of having um in some way celebrated the supreme leader and uh islam to some degree and so religious minorities can't run for parliament and they're filtered between their their allegiance to the supreme leader and then even if you're you reach the presidency the president is not really the leader the leader is the supreme leader and he's not chosen by in a democratic way by the public he's chosen by another uh, small committee that's um the the assembly of experts so there's a lot of different groups that are above the parliament and above the the presidency and even if you want to be a part of parliament there the they filter that so th when we talk about democracy in in uh, in iran it's not really the same as when we talk in in other countries and i think that's that uh nuance is lost on a lot of people outside uh, uh of the middle east yeah, that's right. What you're saying is exactly right, because uh, we are talking about democracy when the, the people are choosing something. But as you told, even the religious minority cannot take part of um, uh, being elected. And also woman, a woman cannot be a president like you have told it is chosen from before uh, through all those elections which is under the uh, uh, control of supreme leader Khamenei. So those shows that Iran doesn't have the free election. Something that it is based on a religion cannot be free. Something that it is based only on one religion cannot be the cho choice of all of the people of the country. Because as you know, in Iran, we have lots of other religion uh, that they are uh, they cannot take part of um, being in the in the power and also women are the second class citizens so those things shows enough that the the election in Iran is not like we have the the 
uh, we think about it, what it is outside the country. And Rouhani is, uh, has never been chosen in a free election. It has been chosen to send the, uh, between the people who Khamenei has gave the um, uh, has accepted as a candidate. And in the 90s, you were studying in university in Tehran still. And I read that you also started to participate in protests while you were there before you left Iran, correct? That's right. When it was uh, 1999, and uh, as a student of dentistry uh, and as a woman, we saw how um, unfair is the situation for the people, for the uh, people who think not as government and the regime for women and for uh, religious minorities and for a lots of other people. Um, that was uh, the reason that uh, on a protest, on a very big manifestation during uh, three or four days in Tehran, uh, we went together to uh, ask for freedom, to ask that, uh, to tell them that we cannot bear the dictatorship of religious uh, totalitarian regime, not more. And that was one of the best days of uh, my life. And it was the moment that for the first time after the revolution of 79, uh, a lots of people, hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of Iran were shouting that we don't want to bear that situation no more. And we want to have a free country with a real democracy. And um, unfortunately, it was uh, uh, suppressed very soon because that was the moment that um, the Supreme Leader Khamenei at that moment saw if he doesn't react, so the regime is in danger. And that was the moment that he gave the order to Hassan Rouhani, which is now the president. At that moment, he was not the president, but the national um, security, the president of the national security. And he gave the order to suppress the uh, uh, manifestation of the people on the streets of Iran. And that was the moment that really all the dreams that we have uh, cheered for the days that we thought the change is close was... Um, uh, still shut down. But I, I keep hearing in the international news that uh, Rouhani is so progressive and he's changing the country for a better. <laughs> this is what I constantly hear about him. This is what it is really funny. I mean, uh, it is also sad to hear that. The Rouhani is uh, the one who has brought the obligatory of hijab, the idea of obligatory of dressing codes for women for the first time in Iran. And after a while, in 1999, when we were on the students, uh, we were on the streets asking for freedom, he was the one who oppressed our uh, manifestation as students, as people who were asking for freedom. And even nowadays, um, further, we are going to talk about the ban of the women in the stadiums of Iran. The one, the government who for the first time didn't sell to the tickets for the entering to a stadium to women were the government of President Rouhani. The things that in the time of President Rouhani has gone worse for women, we can count it, as I explained you, in the time of the uh, government of Rouhani, there are a uh, 
quote uh, that are imposed in the university for women that it makes less students for women uh, in, the, in the universities of Iran. Women in the universities were uh, like 76% before Rouhani came. And he bring a limitation to the universities. And now after four years of uh, his governing, women are only 47%. Because they thought there are a lots of students, the female students on the university, and we should limit it. And that was also in the time of Rouhani. As I tell you that in the time of uh, President Rouhani, the job market for women are only 11 till 12 percent. And the government didn't help in, a, in no way for making it more. Then we see that it's uh, not a sort of progressive person. But the, the West world want to believe that he is progressive. Because uh, in the time of President Rouhani, there is nuclear deal, which is signed, which is very important thing, of course, and we are glad for it. But they forget that the one who made all those crises about the nuclear deal was the supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, which himself gave the order to Rouhani that now you should end it up because economically, we cannot continue no more. The people forget that it was not without the will of Khamenei, what Rouhani has signed. And this is what is it, it is about, that they think that he is a progressive one. Of course, of course, still we can say there are worse than Rouhani and the regime, but Rouhani is not one of the progressive ones. So the the United States and other international nations had to paint a better picture of Rouhani to kind of uh, facilitate the nuclear deal. And he might be progressive compared to Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, maybe, but certainly not progressive socially uh, as uh, in the way you, you think uh, it would be better for women in Iran. Uh, it depends how you look at it. I mean, um, I, I'm not for none of them because uh, all of them are, are working in a discriminatory system and are against equality for men and women. But still, uh, for the, the example that you gave about uh, Ahmadinejad, Ahmadinejad is the one who was talking about why cannot the women enter the soccer stadiums? He was the one who wanted to open the doors of the soccer stadiums to the women. But if you compare Ahmadinejad for, with Rouhani, which even took the right of women to entering the volleyball stadium, because it was possible for women until four years ago to go to the volleyball stadiums, then you say, we cannot say one is better than the other. There are still uh, all of them are looking at each other in the in the way that they are looking at women and their equality and and the thing is that the world knows rohani as a better president because with the west words and with the nuclear deal he was the one who signed it and but we should not forget it was not signed without the permission of Khamenei who made this crisis and that is what we sometimes forget about uh, Rouhani. For the rest, the, the, the way that they look at the women and participation in the society is 
not really different from each other. They believe in what the Sharia laws believes in, and that is not equality. This is the women have another rights than men. And, and that's what they believe, all of them. So I'd like to get to your activism, but I kind of would like to get a little bit more of your, your story. So when, after those protests in, in the late 90s, did you move, uh, I think, to Belgium, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yes. So did you have to leave? Was it a necessity or was it for economic reasons? What led to that? Oh, no, it was not for economic uh, reason. Uh, when after the manifestation of 1999, uh, I was arrested and I uh, they, they arrested me and they put me in jail and very little cell of two meter on two meter and uh, investigations, daily investigations for um, the activities that we have done before it. How long were you in jail for? Uh, for 24 days. And uh, they made me free on a very expensive bail. Um, and after the freedom, um, I contacted uh, my husband, which uh, uh, were also hiding because uh, he risked to be uh, arrested as well. And we decided to go out of the country. And at that moment, it was really difficult because we couldn't go legally out. But after a lot of um, uh, times that my husband tried to go out of the country, we came to the Turkey. And at that moment, we thought that everything will goes for a good side. But it was not. Uh, and my husband was arrested in Turkey. And the Secret uh, um, Service of Turkey has arrested my husband because they wanted to change him with another uh, political prisoner of Turkey in Iran. And that was the moment that I contacted everyone that I knew to ask help because it was really dangerous. And uh, that was the moment that uh, uh, Belgium has accepted to give us two visas and we came to Belgium. And that's the reason that I am really grateful uh, because Belgium has um, uh, saved our lives. So your, your husband w was released uh, from, from Turkey, Turkish imprisonment? Yeah. And then you, you both went together to Belgium? Yes, we came together to Belgium and we began, began our life here in Belgium. It was 2000. In the videos I, I was searching for you, there, there's a great many videos of you on TV debating people. I think I've seen you, de you debate in French in German. How many languages do you speak? Yeah, this is, um, I'm talking French, as you know, and uh, Dutch and um, also uh, English, like uh, I'm trying to talk um, in Persian. <laughs> That's quite, quite amazing because I, I even see you debate in French <laughs> with uh, uh, political figures, I believe. So I, I can't I can't understand those videos myself. They're not subtitled, but I was I was quite impressed seeing the, these uh, various videos of you around Europe. Yes, that's right. Because um, those uh, the things that we are debating for is what we are confronted with uh, nowadays in uh, West countries, in America, in uh, Europe, and the thing is that even uh, in our uh, daily lives here in Europe, we see women who are discriminated and women who are not counted equal as men. Uh, even we think that we are all of us, we are equal on the law, and that's right. But still, we see a lot of women in some of the communities are discriminated. 
And this is why we should pay attention because all of the prosperities, all of our success in the history is thanks to some of the values and norms that we have um, earned in the years. And the equality between men and women are one of the most important thing that we have earned and we should keep it. And that's the reason that um, a lot of times I have had different debates with the uh, politicians uh, and with the people because, as you know, there are some of the politicians of Europe who goes to Islamic Republic of Iran and they cover their head without thinking about that what they are doing is just... Um, uh, ignoring the fight of Iranian women who fighting against this obligatory hijab such a 38 years and who are daily arrested because they have their headscarf uh, which is not uh, com which doesn't completely cover their head so that's what they should uh, give uh, enough attention and they don't do it and if you bend for um how the the clerics in Iran, they are dictating. So how do you want to uh, defend our Western values? How can you help us to progressing our country here? If you bend, if you just uh, do accept such a thing, a, a lot uh, a lots of things, they are against our norms and values and they are accepting it. That was the reason that I have been on debating the president of the Senate of Belgium uh last summer i also saw an al jazeera video where you were in a debate with two other women and the subject was that the i think it was the united nations had approved that europe had people with in businesses in europe had the right to say to the people working for them that they could not show any religious or political s symbols at all um so it was an equal you know, bans and you can't show, you know, your, your political symbols or your religious symbols at work. So it didn't discriminate against any particular political affiliation or religion. In that debate, there was a there was a Muslim woman in hijab. There was a non-Muslim woman who I think was a, a lawyer of sorts. And there was you. And I noticed that the non-Muslim European woman was on the side of allowing the hijab. So... I was wondering, is this something you confront a lot when, for example, if you're talking with non-Muslim people about uh, a female politician going to Iran and they cover their hair, maybe they say, oh, that's good because they're they're uh, they're conforming to the culture and it's respectful. Or the woman, uh, the woman you, you were in that debate on Al Jazeera, uh, do they do, does this happen to you a lot where you are trying to explain that certain things are acts of oppressive of women they're not just cultural norms that should be respected by the west because i i find this happens to a lot of the woman fighting against uh religious patriarchy in many ways that the it's so foreign to women in the west that they don't know exactly how to approach it and they're trying to be respectful but at the end of the day they end up simply defending misogynistic acts that's right. Um, yeah, it comes too much for me. Uh, actually, the problem is they discuss um, headscarf, they discuss the hijab, um, as a, they discuss the freedom of choice of hijab without discussing that hijab and headscarf, 
doesn't know any freedom for women. And this is not something that a woman chooses freely. This is something religious. And in religion, um, people don't talk about their rights. People talk about their duties. This is what I'm uh, asking attention for when we are talking about the freedom of choice of a cloth, like burkini, the special clothes that you can go to swimming, the hijab um, dressing coat uh, to go and swimming. And also when you're talking about headscarf, don't talk about freedom of choice without talking the philosophy and ideology behind it. You cannot compare a headscarf with white socks. You cannot compare a headscarf with a, a, a other sort of clothes because there is a philosophy behind it. And this philosophy and ideology doesn't believe in the equality of men and women. The moment that the woman except to uh, cover their uh, head. This is the moment that she wants to protect her herself against the sort of lusty um, eyes of men. This is the philosophy which from begin, it is against this equality. It means that a woman is weak and a man is strong. That's why a woman should cover herself to avoid uh, being uh, in trouble. Uh, and that is the reason that I'm, I'm talking about. Without talking about that philosophy behind hijab, we cannot defending the choice of uh, headscarf, even if we want to think that this is the choice, because something which is dictated in a religion, it cannot be a choice. It cannot be what you are choosing freely. It is an obligation and your duty in this religion. And that is what I'm asking really to be discussed more and more, because this is our debates with which can show us the right way for equality, which can show and help us. How can we be good for equality of women and men? How can we help our women emancipating in place of putting them in a situation that they think the only thing that they, they their ident identity is uh, uh, shown is their religion and is their covering the head? This is a pity situation for us as feminist people in the way of equality between men and women because as you know the headscarf and hijab and the philosophy behind it doesn't believe in equality and that's why they cover their heads even if they say but in the west countries we are equal we enjoy our equality this is not thanks to what hijab is for this is not thanks to the sharia law this is thanks to uh, the secularism, the uh, making it apart, the religion and the government, that's what we should keep, not uh, propagating for hijab and headscarf without seeing what the harm it can make for the women in the future. Um, recently on Twitter, there was a trending uh, topic that uh, was principally trending in, in Pakistan and in Asia. But I think the elements of what I saw of the trend uh, can apply to, to people everywhere. And I have seen how they apply to people, whether it's Muslim women in the West or in the Middle East or in Asia. And I saw many, because uh, I went through a, 
dozens and dozens and dozens of these tweets and I shared some of them, but there was certain uh, themes going on. So many people were, were talking about how the hijab is their key to Jannah, it's their key to heaven, already implying that with the, he with the headscarf that women will get into heaven, implying that if they don't wear it, they'll go to hell. Or they were saying that, well, it protects you like a piece of candy is protected and you don't want to get eaten like uh, an open candy that will be eaten by ants or a, a diamond is, is protected or a pearl is protected by the oyster. So already saying you're, you're an object that needs uh, protection. And also there was a lot of uh, talk about uh, how it dignifies women or it's that their duty or it's their honor depends uh, on the hijab or that uh, the hijab is a necessity uh, to imply chastity for future marriage and uh, other things like this. So when constantly these things are reinforced by not just men, but women as well, I saw many women also pushing these ideas forward. So it's pushed on both from men in society and from mothers on their daughters. Um, it's not just that there are countries like Saudi Arabia or Iran where the, the hijab or something like the hijab, which uh, would be could, could be the Shador or the abaya, or or something like that, that makes it compulsory. But also, there's there's a there's a push, there's a pressure, there's a, there there's a sense of duty instigated, and then there's a fear, uh, a religious fear pushed on children fr from very young to wear it. And in that sense, it's very hard to talk about freedom of choice. This is a very good question. You know, I am living for 17 years in uh, Belgium and uh, my uh, job is a de being a dentist. So uh, uh, I have a lot of experience with a lot of my patients who are from this community and I lived with them for such a, a 15 years um, in Belgium. And I know uh to which percent is it really a choice and uh, where is the limit? This is not about a choice. If in the countries like Islamic Republic of Iran or Saudi Arabia, the law um, makes it difficult for women to choose, okay, you think that we have this freedom in West countries, but we forget the social pressure the social pressure is something very important that we ignore and we cannot ignore it because we think a lot of women that we see, like uh, we see on medias like Linda Sarsour, they talk always about the freedom of choice. This is the choice of those women. But we never hear the women who didn't choose for it and they are imprisoner in, with this sort of clothes and mentality because because they are sitting at home those people those women are a lots of my patients and they talked with to, to me about their problems their routine problems and like one of i see a lots of girls of six seven years old totally covered totally covered because they are just born girls. And this is happening here in Europe. How can we talk about the choice? I see the patients of me who are talking about how they should share their husband with another woman in the same house in Europe. Those women are not hurt. There are lots of young women who want to work even with a scarf. 
but their brothers doesn't let them work. But those are not hurt. You know why aren't they hurt? Because they cannot communicate in the society. They cannot come out. Even they don't have uh, social medias to talk about their problems. And they don't, more important, they don't dare to talk about their problems. They don't do any of that, the social media or they're outspoken because of the pressures from the family and community, correct? Yes, that's right. Because of the pressure of uh, family and community and the social pressure of their community, we ignore it. This is very important. I have had a lots of cases because I go to the schools in Europe, in, in Belgium, and I talk with the children, our children, our future, about the equality of men and women. There are a lots of girls who come after uh, my testimony to me and they say they cannot um, appreciate me enough for bringing up this issue. This is very important for them, but they cannot talk even in the class because their um, uh, brother is also in the same class. You know, this pressure is something very important and I want the world to pay attention on it. We only hear the woman who think that they have chosen for the for the covering their head. And we ignore and forget the social pressure uh, and the from the community on these people, these women are a lot and we should be the voice of them. We should help them coming out in our society in place of pushing them and helping um, the, the uh, religious uh, extremism to uh, help them uh, sitting at home. The philosophy behind this hijab is something that limits a woman. A hijab is made to um, uh, to protect a woman against a male. And this is the reason that they have found a better protection against the men, and that is keeping a woman at home. This is the best solution for protecting her against the man. If you accept that a woman is uh, weak and should be protected against a strong man, then that's what it happens. They keep them even at home. And unfortunately, I should say, this is not more a problem only in Islamic Republic of Iran or Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan. This is nowadays a problem here in Europe and here in the West countries. I also find that the, if, for example, in European society or if it was American society or Canada as such, you find that the most outspoken feminists and women who agree would agree with you ideologically. They will say they also believe firmly in the equality of women. They're, they're, they do a lot of activism on the subject and they'll find every minute, small point of discrimination they can find in society. However, when it comes to Muslim women or women in hijab, and the women you interact with in, in your job or that you might find around who cannot be outspoken, when those stories are a little bit sp spoken out, they don't get the support of, uh, of Western feminists. Is, is this, what do you think this is due to? Do you think it's a discrimination of lower expectations? It's a fear of being called racist? Because I think it's essential that they, because th these women are a minority within a minority, and they need extra help. But they're, they're, it's almost they're given the opposite. It's actually the the women like Linda Sarsour who are 
the most fundamentalist uh, and conservative about the religion, they are propped up and and, and put, pushed forward. Unfortunately, yes, this is also my experience. And I have written once um, uh, an update in um, Wall Street Journal about how, unfortunately, some of the feminists uh, in Europe and in West countries, uh, they are supporting um, the things that it, it's not okay for the equality, but they are totally forgetting the women who are asking for help. And um, this is a sort of ignoring their problems. This is a sort of, oh yeah, we, we don't have a time to talk about that. Or this is a sort of feeling that the equality is only for Western women and the other women who has cultural problems, then we can use the relativism, the cultural relativism, and uh, think about their rights in another way. That's what is happening nowadays. As I um, can give you an example, some months ago, a girl... Um, which is a champion of chess uh, games in Iran. Her name is Dorsa Derakhshani. She has chosen to make a, a game of chess without the headscarf abroad of Iran, out of Iran. And um, she didn't wear the scarf. Uh, at that moment, the, the uh, Federation of Islamic Republic of Iran uh, they uh, expelled her from the national team uh, and she didn't deserve it. But you didn't hear any voice of those uh, feminists who thinks that they are for equality when it goes about choosing to not to wear their headscarf. This is sometimes uh, I feel that this is a very pity situation because if you are for the freedom of the choice, even I am very critic about why they don't um, criticize the ideology and philosophy behind hijab. But if you think that you are for the cho choice of the woman, why are you closing your eyes on, the, uh, on this sort of discrimination when it goes about women who doesn't want to wear the headscarf, but they are obliged to wear it? And that's what it happens daily inside Islamic Republic of Iran and outside in West countries, and they are ignoring it. And, and I hope that one, once they accept that those women are the women who can help not only the women toward the prosperity, being equal and progress, but also help our countries, help the whole world to defending itself against the sort of ideology and philosophy that is the, the enemy of the whole world. That's what we should just try to help those women because the equality is the most important thing that we can find in the uh, West values. So I'd like to get to your activism. Um, and you're the, the founder of the group uh, Let Iranian Women Enter Their Stadiums. I believe that to choose and to talk about letting Iranian women enter their stadiums, that's only one problem uh, Iranian women face. And I, I think you may use that maybe as an example of a larger problem, correct? 
Yeah, that's right. This is as you as you name it. This is a, a very small piece of all the rest, but it can be a symbol of all the rest. Um, I have an idol in my life, and I, I look there at activism of Rosa Parks, uh, which uh, when she was convinced that the the seat in the bus is her seat, and it's not only for other colors, then she just did something that it is very important and she sit on that chair until she made it realize for the bigger problem and this is apartheid in in islamic republic of iran we have that sort of gender apartheid and this problem is a very big problem which uh, we fight against it very difficultly but with this way the iranian women show the whole world that they are busy with that fight and it's very good if they they have the support of the world like a lots of um uh, good um, reactions of the world shows that they have the support, but there are still a lots of big problems even outside Islamic Republic of Iran supporting that sort of demands of Iranian women. So this is a way that we have found to show the world that Iranian women want their seats back, want their places in the society back, and they want to gain their rights and equal rights. One thing that stood out to me about the name is that you named it Let Iranian Women Enter Their Stadiums, not just stadiums. So is that they, it's theirs as well. That's right, because this is their public places. You cannot tell that the women are second-class citizens. You cannot ban them from their basic rights and tell them that this is because they are born women. This is cannot be buried and this is what we are against this is the place of iranian women that when they had the right to enter the volleyball stadiums four years ago there were they were one third of the azadi stadium with the capacity of twelve thousand people the Iranian women show that they don't have cultural problem. Also, the Iranian men, they don't have cultural problem. The, the, the West uh, world and politics like this of FIFA, the, Federation, uh, the International Federation of Football and FIVB, the International Federation of Volleyball, wants to talk always about uh, the cultural paradigms, the cultural problems. But they don't have any cultural problems. The reason is, until four years ago, there were almost 4,000 women in those stadiums and they were cheering for the national team together with the men and there were no problems. And that's why um, I'm really, um, uh, this makes me very unhappy when, when I see how the FIVB and FIFA react to those sort of suppression of Iranian women. So Iranian women aren't allowed into their stadiums, but FIFA doesn't have a problem with letting the teams play, but they have a problem with you coming to the to the to the matches holding that sign. Now they there they say there's a rule that you're not allowed to hold up political signs. However, that sign is something that they should agree with. Right. That you're pointing out a discrimination against women that FIFA supposedly opposes or or the Olympics as well as as well as FIFA hold that same position. 
that they oppose discrimination based on gender, religion, race, or or what have you, but they kick you out. Um, do, isn't that contradictory? Of course. the The problem is um, uh, this is written in the statue of um, FIFA. FIBB and also Olympic Committee that uh, the games cannot be uh, held in a stadium which any kind of discrimination uh, is uh, inside this stadium. The only thing that this positive message of us asking is just have respect for your own statue. This is what the banner asks. Iranian women are excluded from those beauty of sport and sport games. And this is not something to, to close the eyes on it. And the reason that um, they are against my banner, they know it very well. It is not because this is something political, because the message, the positive message against discrimination is not at all political. It is about human rights. And the thing that they are doing, unfortunately, is something political because they come to me and they say, you can keep your banner somewhere else, but not in front of the camera. And the reason is that Islamic Republic of Iran and the Federation has asked us not to let this banner inside a camera. This is really unfortunate to see how the world of FIBB and FIFA and Olympic Committee, which are for equality, are turning the back to Iranian women and their problems. And in place of choosing the side of Iranian women, they choose the side of oppressors. They collaborate to oppressors. This is really sad. And um, I, I am sure that in the history the, the sign of this sort of oppression and suppression will uh, talk a lot, a lot about how they react um, and they didn't help Iranian women. As you know, years ago, uh, the Olympic Committee has expelled South Africa uh, from the international community of the sport uh, world because they said that in the South Africa um, there is apartheid on base of races and this is not acceptable if we ask the same thing for gender apartheid then this is too much asked because they are busy the whole time about the politics and they don't pay attention to the basic rights of iranian women which are waiting behind the closed doors which are doing a lot to go inside the stadium even they are disguising themselves in boys they paint their faces not to be seen that they are girls they risk to be arrested and a lots of time they are still arrested but still they are trying to go inside the football and volleyball and basketball stadiums but they are closing the eyes to sport federation and organizations and this is what it is really sad to see and i hope that they soon realize the iranian women deserve the same rights like all of the women of the world. The women in Iran are the same. They want to be the same. They're they fighting against this discrimination. And one day they will gain. What's better than stay together with these women in place of collaborating the oppressors of Islamic Republic of Iran? In the 
a film from uh, over a decade ago now, uh, Offside by uh, Jafar Panahi, about these Iranian women who who cover their heads and try to dress like a man, paint their faces to try to slip in uh, past any guards who might notice that they might be women. What I really loved about the film is that it showed how the women were just so excited to see any glimpse of the game and to 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 even hear that th there was cheering they might have a goal that they're not just trying to get in just to be antagonistic but that they have a passion just like any man to to watch these games that's right you know when was my first experience of uh, celebrating our victory with men and women inside Iran that was the day that I knew that I want to be in a stadium. There was uh, uh, at 1997, uh, the, the games were preparing the uh, World Football um, World Championship in, 1908, uh, in 1998 in France. And at that moment, Iran was playing against the soccer team of Iran was playing against Australia. And we were the last uh, team uh, until the last minutes. And the last minutes, with uh, gaining a goal, a point, we can go to the uh, World Championship of 98. At that moment, we were at home uh, looking at TV, men and women, because we cannot go to the stadium and watch it. Still, the game was in Iran, but we couldn't enter the, stadi the stadiums. But after the uh, winning, the celebration was a lot, a big. We went to the street and the people of the street game, they went to the bigger street and we were all together, men and women, dancing, celebrating and even the moral police, uh, which are always uh, there to uh, oppress the Iranian women if they are laughing or dancing or listening to music then uh, they were not there because they were in the traffic they couldn't get there and that moment of celebrating with your compatriots being together and celebrating your victory it was a huge nice experience that I was decided to make it uh, true because I knew that this is also my right to be with other patriots and cheering for my country and that's why uh, after after some years I, I thought so oh, when I go to the stadium abroad uh, uh, outside Iran I can have this banner as a symbol of all of those women who cannot enjoy this victory inside Iran and I believe last month you were in Italy doing another protest for let uh, Iranian women into their stadiums and you were again both kicked out and they cut up your sign? Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, they uh, were really aggressively um, and brutally busy to um, tear this uh, banner. And they were like, uh, that was the police of uh, Italy. But unfortunately, it was like they are turned to the police of Islamic Republic of Iran. And they, they were like working for them. And it is so unfortunate to see that it is a really positive message, which we try to bring it in a really peaceful and beautiful way. We participate the game, cheering for the national team. We are not at all disturbing the, the population. This is what they are saying the whole time. They are saying power to you. This is really nice message. And uh, unfortunately, 
the Italian police has uh, taken me out and teared my uh, banner, but they cannot um, take to the pieces, make to make it to the pieces, the message which is behind it. This message is so powerful that it can find its way. And, you know, fortunately, the days after that happening, that incident, uh, lots of medias in, in, Ital in Italy, they were against that sort of aggressivity in the stadium. And they have written a lot of good things for uh, me in the campaign. And they said there are a lot of hate messages which are bared without any problems. Why only the positive message which are asking for uh, participation of everyone in the beauty of sport should has been turned uh, uh, up and and that was really the thing that they're supporting and because of that I have been also on Rai TV of Italy and uh, lots of people supported me and I was really thankful an Iranian woman which needs the help of the world to just be the voice of other Iranian women who wants to show the world that they want to enjoy the the victory of the sport. Do you get a lot of backlash? Um, do, you, do you get a hate mail from the Iranian community, Middle Eastern community, perhaps even Western community who think you, you, uh, to bring up these issues might be an act of discrimination against uh, Iranian minorities? Do, do, you, do you get that kind of backlash? The most uh, messages that I have received after that were the positive messages and thanks messages from all sorts of people, of uh, the people of Iran and also the people of Europe, Italy, and all around the world. Like after the game of uh, Olympic Games in uh, Rio, in Brasilia, was the same. But of course, between all those messages, there are also messages which criticize and they talk about, yes, this is the sport is not place for political issues. But of course... Uh, they, they don't pay attention that this is not at all about politics. And, and the sport world, they know enough about that this is about human rights. And the reason that they say, just don't bring it in front of the camera, go wherever you want in the stadium, is that this is not a political message. And the, for the rest, I have a, a lots of good uh, comments and messages which uh, appreciating the things that we are doing because um, for changing the things you should act you cannot do it if you don't not if you, you don't talk about it if you don't make the issue uh, worldwide known and that's what we should do and we continue to do because the public opinion which will finally make FIVB and FIFA and Olympic Committee to react for this inclusivity of Iranian women I notice also when you go to uh, do these protests with your signs, you also have sometimes on yourself or you have you're holding up the flag of Iran. But I notice it's the older pre-revolution flag with with the line and, and the sun, not with the religious symbol in the middle. Why do you use the uh, pre-revolution flag? Yeah, that's right. This is a flag of thousand years old, and this is the flag of Persia. So this is what we have had before that the totalitarian regime decide for us what is our sign. Um, the lion and the sun, they are the sign that more than 3,000 years have been the sign of uh, Persia. 
So a totalitarian regime cannot change it in an ideologically sign and say that this is the flag of you from now on. This is uh, we cannot accept an ideologically sign on uh, uh, our flag, especially um, when this ideology is the one who deprives women and um, religious minorities from their rights, who doesn't let uh, people who think other than the way that they are thinking religiously, uh, they put them in prison. We cannot accept the, uh, the violation of human rights, which are nowadays inside Iran in prisons only because a journalist or a, per, a, a citizen has uh, criticizing the Islamic Republic of Iran. That's why I cannot accept uh, to put back my uh, flag of country and to accept an ideologically totalitarian uh, sign of Islamic Republic of Iran. What is your uh, opinion on the politics internationally between the West, per particularly the United States, maybe, or also Europe, towards Iran? Because during the time of Obama, he improved relations with Iran, but under the guise that he especially wanted to kind of uh, rein in control of their nuclear program and uh, released a certain quantity of funds that they had uh, frozen outside outside the country that Iran could access. But now you have Trump uh, going to Saudi Arabia, and although he was antagonistic towards Saudi Arabia in his, in, during the election cycle, he, he went to Iran, I'm sorry, to Saudi Arabia, and he spoke... Uh, as allies with them, but then spoke about Iran as uh, the main terrorist nation in, in the world. D do you lean towards uh, one approach is better than the other? Uh, where is your opinion on, on how those international politics should be run? Um, for me, the most important thing is that now that we have uh, the nuclear deal, which was very important, we should not close our eyes on the violation of human rights in the region. Uh, because as you know, we as Western countries cannot be happy without ending that sort of religious problems, religious fights in the region of Middle East. If we don't know what we want to make from our future in the whole world and the, in the region, so we will lose the whole thing. And that's very important to focus uh, focus ourselves on uh, the human rights in the region as something very important to change the whole uh, situation. Because as um, about Iran, I can uh, guarantee you that there is a lot of potentially uh, way to change the uh, country in a very uh, in the way that we make power more power to secular forces but unfortunately when we don't defend the human rights in the way that it should be in the region those secular forces those people who can change the history in the region will lose and that's what i don't see that it's happening today in the world i don't see that west countries uh, focusing themselves on and, uh, and in the right way against their the the 
violation of human rights there. How can we uh, think that it will ever change that situation in the region without um, helping the forces? Not We cannot decide in place of people. We cannot make decisions in place of the people. But where, when they are moving, when they are making a great movement like Green Movement in 2009, we cannot leave them alone. We cannot be just uh, say, we don't take it. We can help them. And that's what we didn't do. And th this is also the reason that the region is going day after the day worse. The only thing that the, the political world of a, a Western country they can do is just not closing their eyes on the violation of women's rights and human rights inside those countries in Middle East, because this is really important to avoid all the future problems. As you know, 38 years ago, uh, that was the first Islamic state in the whole world which came to the life, and that was in Islamic Republic of Iran. After 38 years, nowadays, it is so um, vaster than only Iran. But the only thing that we should keep in mind is Iran has a lot, a big of potential changing. And this is what we should help those people working their job, those supporting uh, morally uh, those secular forces to be more powerful, to change the history of, the, of Iran and the whole region. Suppose tomorrow that Iranian women were let into stadiums and that fight uh, had been won, would you give up or would you take on a new battle for women in Iran? Of course you cannot give up when you know that we are still second-class citi citizen inside uh, Iran. Because um, this is not the only problem. This is just, you try to attack one and other sort of discrimination, hoping that one day all of that uh, situation will fall down and uh, the women are the same and equal uh, uh, persons as a men. This, when, when, as you know, the life of Iranian women has a lots of other limitations. If you look at the, that Iranian women cannot sing solo, they cannot uh, participate in uh, concerts when, uh, even for playing an instrument. So they know there are a lots of things to attack after a while and and you know the goal is just being equal in one or other way that you can ask that equality we will continue to ask it like millions of women inside the country and outside the country which are trying to have the same rights so i know you don't um bring up the 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 subject specifically of religion too much but a lot of people in the west create either a full connection or a total disconnection. A lot of uh, Muslims in the West who are especially co very conservative, anytime a, a, a problem in the Middle East or in, in a majority Muslim country bring up a, a, a conflict or a lack of human rights, a lack of, of women's rights, etc., they always conclude a complete lack of connection to the religion. Um, do you think this is doing more harm? Do you, do you, what, how much of a connection do you see with these problems towards religion? Oh, I think 
it should be a sort of a connection. I mean, um, you cannot say that this is absolutely not um, in Islam uh, that women are not equal to men. As you know, the, the Sharia law, which is really something that it is obvious inside it, that the women are not equal to men. But the, the thing is, that doesn't mean that the people should change the religion. This is religion is something very private between a person and his God. It can be all sort of religion. It is acceptable. But the way that they, if they come and say in the 21st century, we should live in the way that this religion dictated, this is wrong. This is where we get the conflict with the human rights, because, as you know, 1,400 years ago or thousands of uh, years ago, the, the way that the people looked at the uh, human rights and the, the daily uh, life, it was not the same as we can we, we do it in 21st century. Uh, even I have heard that uh, what is... Uh, the, the Islam is a very feminist religion. You can hear all all sorts of things that they are talking about, exaggerating about what it is not right. But you cannot have a modern uh, um, argue as feminism in something which is thousands of years ago. It, they didn't believe in the equality and say, yeah, this is not the fault of the religion or this is the interpretation of the religion. What I'm thinking is that this is a book, is written years ago, so just close it and go forward for making the world together. We decide what we want to do and close that book. If you want to have a religion, you are welcome to have wh whatever you want, but just keep it private and don't um, discriminate a person, other person, other gender, other beliefs with those sort of um, thoughts and ideology that's the thing that we should ask in to find nowadays because as you know we are very um from uh, a lots of origins a lots of beliefs and we can be so uh, beautifully uh, beside each other if we decide to make the lines of respect for human rights and respect for equality of every citizen very obviously and we can solve our problems if we debate it and if we look at it critically in place of saying it is not at all something religion i think the problems that we're facing nowadays like inequality between men and women this is inside that religion and just we should discuss it and solve the problems if very few of your videos are in english and so there's not an, there's not enough information out there from you in English. So I was I was very excited to have you on my podcast to uh, disseminate more your message to everyone. So for closing, is there any general message you'd like to say to an English speaking audience? Um, I thank you for your time and interest. And I just wanted to add something very optimistic and uh, for closing our uh, discussion and this is that um, we should really care about the equality and uh, we should search that equality and find it out in any kind of thoughts religion cultures we should never say that oh yeah this is the culture of that sort of people respect it we just respect one thing and this is we are all equal from all the races, all the colors of skin, 
all the sort of genders, all the religion, uh, religion, and all the sort of languages that we can talk, we are equal. I hope one day we will see the beauty of being equal together in the whole world. Thank you so much, Daria Safai, for being on my podcast. Where can people find you? Oh, they can find me on my Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook in Dutch. Um, I have on Twitter that most of the time I put the things in English. So uh, it's free for um, sending the messages. Um, I have opened the option for everyone. And um, yeah, they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think uh, it's not easy. It's not difficult to search. Well, I will have your links to your social media in the description of this uh, either SoundCloud or YouTube or wherever people are listening to it. And thank you so much again for coming on. You are very welcome. Thank you.